Would you turn again, please, to Ruth chapter 2? Ruth chapter 2. If you haven't got a Bible with you, please do uh, feel free to go and pick one up from the shelves at the back. If you want help with finding where Ruth is, there's a purple sheet with page numbers on it and some notes to help you. And if you're Ukrainian and you'd like some notes in Ukrainian to help you follow the uh, sermon, there's some blue sheets. I think they're at the back on the shelves there by the Bibles. Yes, that's being confirmed to me. So feel free to go and pick up anything you need to help you follow because we're hearing God's word. And so I hope you want to follow it and hear what God has to say to you. What is it you need this morning? What do you think you need to get out of the preaching? Do you need some examples to follow? Some role models to take notice of? Well, yes, we must do, because the Bible, including here in Ruth chapter 2, gives us examples to follow, role models to shape our lives. But there's something we need more than examples to follow, something which God devotes far more of his message to, and it's this, to know what God is like and that you can trust him. To know what God is like and that you can trust him. Yes, we need role models, we need examples, we need instruction telling us do this and don't do that. But have you noticed, while you have got those in the Bible, the Bible isn't mainly those things. The Bible is mainly description. Vast parts of the Bible are description without a single command in. Because the thing you most need is to know what God is like so that you trust him. You see, you need this because we all for the past week have been preached at. Have you been realising that you've been preached at for the past week? Not just for half an hour on Sundays. How is that? Our society is always preaching at you. In various ways it is, it is getting its message across to you. And its message is, God isn't there. God isn't relevant. If there is a God, if you take any notice of these religious groups with their ideas of God, he's harsh. That has been preached to us for the past week. And now we've started a new week. And that message is going to be preached to us again this week. It's all around us. It's seeping into us. And so we must start the week by letting God preach to us. And God preaches to us in Ruth 2 this, that he is there. He's as quietly at work behind the scenes. And he is kind. He is full of favour undeserved goodness, undeserved generosity. Let's see that in Ruth chapter 2. Those who were here two weeks ago know that we, well, three weeks, well, for a few weeks anyway, we've been in Ruth. And Ruth is a story, a true story. And so my message is going to be, my way of preaching is going to be a little different from normal because it's a story, and so I, I simply am going to take us through the story of Ruth chapter 2 and tell the story again. And I hope as I tell it, you will notice the lessons that you should get and that they will be clear. But in case they're not, at the end, I'm going to check we've got the main message of that story. So let's simply hear the story of Ruth chapter 2. Have you noticed how a film or a TV programme sometimes gives you a short scene at the start and then it moves on? And you don't know, why was that short scene there? We've moved on to something quite different. 
I can't see the relevance of that short scene at the start, but you know it must be relevant and it must be its meaning, its need, its place will crop up again later. Ruth chapter 2 does that, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Here's one of the chapter's characters. He is an important rich relative. We have here in Ruth two poor women, Naomi and Ruth, and one rich man, Boaz. What might come from that? I expect we can all start to speculate, especially if you've watched Jane Austen films. But we'll have to wait and see, because we're just given a short scene and then it moves on. Verse 2. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, well actually before, before we hear what she said, just notice this important detail. Ruth the Moabitess. The same in chapter 1, verse 22, Ruth the Moabitess. The same in chapter 2, verse 21, Ruth the Moabitess. There are four characters in our chapter, and about one of them, it is emphasised she is a Moabitess. That means she belongs to the enemies of God's people. That means she is an outsider, a foreigner. That means she's from a nation of foolish idolaters who worship blocks of stone. That means she will be unwanted, an outsider. Remember that. Let's get back to verse 2. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in in whose eyes I find favour. By the way, that was called gleaning. Now, we've got a cost of living crisis. The governor of the Bank of England has said our economic situation is apocalyptic. That sounds really drastic. How drastic will it be, I wonder? Well, some people have to change from shopping at Waitrose to Lidl. Disaster. Now, I mustn't joke because it is actually harsh for some people. Some people will be having to search for the best deals in Tesco. Uh, To put it more seriously, some people are going to be going to food banks. But I wonder if anyone will be going to the farmer's fields and going around picking up any grains of corn they can find that have been dropped behind the combine harvester and doing that all day, day after day. Ruth is a lovely romantic story, but don't miss that behind it is grinding poverty. Let's get back to verse 2 again. Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Notice that very last word. It is so significant. You see, the theme of the chapter is exactly that word. It's an Old Testament word for grace, undeserved kindness, favour, generosity that I can't demand, but I'm hoping for. That's what it's about. In this case, Ruth is looking for favour from a man. But behind it all will be God's favour, his undeserved generosity. To use the New Testament word, his grace. Verse 2 Uh, Sorry, well, we are still in verse 2. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. Now, there's another of the chapter's characters, Naomi. She had a family, and now they're all dead. And back in chapter 2, verse 20, 21, she said, 
Verse 21, I went away full, had a full family, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Her stomach is empty, so empty, she needs her daughter-in-law, because Naomi's getting old, to go and pick up bits of grain from the field. Can Naomi be filled again? Well, wait and see. Verse 3, so she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. As it turned out, it just so happened, it just so happened that she was in the field of the man, verse 1 mentions. Remember the short scene at the beginning and you wonder, what's that about? Now we find out what it's about. She just so happened to be in his field. And he just so happens to be their rich relative. What a coincidence. But actually, it's introducing us to the fourth character of the chapter. Who is the fourth character in Ruth chapter 2? God. God. He doesn't get mentioned much, but he's at work behind the scenes. And he's quietly bringing his plan together. There are no miracles or voices from the sky in, in the whole of the book of Ruth. But there is what we are to expect in our lives. Do you expect it? God quietly at work behind the scenes. Even when you don't see him, there he is controlling even the little details, like which field will Ruth go to, even though she doesn't know the significance. Now, Boaz is a man who recognises that. And Boaz turns up, in verse 4, and what's his greeting to his workers? Verse 4, the Lord be with you. Not higher, how you doing? Not that that's wrong, but the Lord be with you. Because Boaz is a man who recognises the need for God and God's presence everywhere. He may live in the wicked days of the judges, not a time of revival, He may be at work, not at church, but his greeting is still, the Lord be with you. Because for him, it's natural to talk about God. Because he sees that God is at work behind the scenes in everything. Well, that's introduced the theme and that's introduced the characters. Now we move on to see Ruth and Boaz being brought into contact. Verses 5 to 16. Verse 5, Boaz asks, who's that young woman gleaning? I don't recognise her. And the foreman, how does he answer in verse 6? She is the Moabitess. See it labelled again. This is very significant, isn't it? What labels we give to people. And she is labelled again. She's the foreigner. But he must admit, she's a very hard-working foreigner. But Boaz, how does he respond Boaz doesn't say, Oi, you Moabites, what are you doing in my field, you outsider? Now, what does he say? Verse 8. My daughter, listen to me. Throughout the chapter, you never find Boaz calling Ruth the Moabites. He calls her my daughter. He speaks kindly to her and he's going to act kindly to her. Glean in my fields, he says. I'll protect you. Remember, it's the days of the judges where women were really very much abused. Have a drink whenever you want. Collect as much food as you want. Now, it's true he's doing what God's law says, because God's law said you've got to care for 
the outsider and the poor, but he's going beyond God's law. He's going beyond it. He's, he's full of grace. He's generously going beyond what anyone could expect of him, beyond what he has to. Are you starting to see God's favour in Boaz? Well, this overwhelms Ruth. Verse 10, at this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? I'm an outsider. So how could I find favour? Do you notice the word again? Favour. Finding favour is the whole theme of the chapter. She's saying, this is all grace. This, this goes beyond anything I could expect. I wonder if you noticed in verse 7, she didn't turn up at the field and say, here I am to glean, it's my right, and I demand my right. No, she says, please will you let me glean? It's all favour. And so verse 13, she says it again. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord? You've given me comfort, kindness, and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. I can't demand. I'm an outsider. I haven't even got the status of a servant. But I'm looking to you for favour, undeserved kindness. I hope we're seeing the theme of the chapter. That's what Ruth thinks of herself. But it's not what Boaz thinks of her. To Boaz, she's not an outsider. To Boaz, she's not a dirty Moabitess. That's not her identity. What does Boaz think of her? Well, he says in verse 11 and 12. Her identity is, verse 11, he describes her character. I've seen you are loyal and kind. That's what he's saying in verse 11. I've seen your character, that you're loyal and kind. And where did you get that character from? Not just you happen to be born with good genes or have parents that happen to give you a good upbringing. No, it's come from verse 12. You have come to trust in the God who is loyal and kind. That's exactly the pattern. Coming to trust in the God who is loyal and kind should make us loyal and kind. And verse 12, Boaz says, I see you've even become one of God's people. So I'm not going to call you Moabites, I'm going to call you daughter. Because you've come to be one of God's people. And what is the picture of becoming one of God's people? See, back then it meant becoming an Israelite, a citizen of that nation. Now, I don't really know how you become a citizen of the United Kingdom. And some here will, because some have. I doubt that it's the most fun process, is it? I expect there's a lot of paperwork and bureaucracy. I doubt you feel like it's a really loving process. I I suspect, is, is there some sort of test of your knowledge of British history and culture? And you probably know more than people who were born in England, because we don't know much of our history and culture. That sort of thing. But that's not the picture here. No, to become one of God's people, he doesn't test you first. He doesn't say, have you come up to standard? He doesn't say, here's the paperwork, will you fill it in? The picture is amazing. The picture is of a a little chick scurrying around the farmyard, quite happily on its own, until danger comes, until it sees the farmyard cat and it scuttles under its mother's wings and it shelters there. And the amazing thing is that that mother hen in verse 12, 
is a picture of God himself. Now, Boaz is going to behave like God. He's not just going to watch from a distance and make sure this foreigner doesn't starve. And so it's mealtime, verse 14. And what does he do at the mealtime? He calls her to join in. He doesn't say to his servants, send some food for that foreigner. We better get her enough to eat. He calls her to be one of them and join in as one of them. And he makes sure she has more than enough. Verse 14, she eats all she wants and she's still got leftovers that she'll wrap up and take home. More than enough. And he quietly says to his men, verse 15, if she does anything that's not normal and not the way things are done here, don't embarrass her. Just quietly, without her noticing, give her more. Boaz is the image of God. Do you see it? We were all made to be the image of God and it's got so broken. But see the image of God mended in Boaz. Generous, going beyond what anyone could expect, bringing the outsider in to be one of his people and doing it personally himself. Boaz is the image of God. And that brings us to the evening scene. Now we move on to verses 17 to 23 and we get an evening scene. Ruth threshes the wheat and barley that she's collected. That means she gets rid of all the bad stuff so she's just got pure good wheat. And she takes it home to Naomi. Do you remember Naomi? Chapter 2 verse 21, she says her life has been bitter and she is empty. Could God fill her again? Someone who's had her husband and her two sons die and she's in grinding poverty. Is it possible for God to fill such a person again? Well, what does Ruth bring back to her? Chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Ruth brings back to her a whole load of barley. And it was about an ether. What is an ether? I feel like it's a bit of a funny thing to ask. There's a baby called Aoife here, but this one's spelt differently. What's an Aoife? Well, an Aoife is about ten jugfuls like this of decent grain. Yeah, Ten jugfuls like this. Could that fill her again? That's a lot of grain, isn't it? Yeah, That's going to produce a lot of flour. That's going to bake a lot of loaves. That's going to give her a lot of food. God is starting to show Naomi that he will fill her again. And by chapter 4, we'll find her filled with more than food, her life being made full. Naomi's response to all this is verse 20. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Who is she talking about? Well, the Lord bless him, the him is Boaz, the one who has taken such notice of Ruth. She's talking about Boaz, sort of, but actually she's talking about more than Boaz. You see, verse 20 is is better translated like this. Blessed be he by the Lord who has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Now, who has not stopped showing kindness? It can be read two ways. It could be read as Boaz, but better it could be read as God himself. He has not stopped showing kindness. She sees behind the kindness of Boaz is the kindness of the Lord. Behind the favour shown by Boaz is the Lord who is full of favour. And life is all about 
finding his favour. Naomi sees that behind the scenes, God has kindly been bringing them into contact, not just with a rich relative, but with someone more important. Verse 20 again. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. What's a kinsman redeemer? God's law had set up this system because God is kind, where if someone fell into poverty and maybe such poverty they got sold into slavery, a kinsman redeemer was a close relative who was under obligation to, they should buy them back out of slavery and protect and provide for them. Throughout the Bible, God is the kinsman redeemer of his people. He protects them. He cares for them. He even bought them out of slavery in Egypt and said, I am so close to you, you can regard me as your father. But the book of Ruth is pointing beyond Boaz. In fact, it will end with a family tree that comes from Boaz because from Boaz will come the greatest kinsman redeemer, Jesus. He'll buy his people out of slavery to sin by his death on the cross. And he comes into close relationship with and cares for needy people who rely on him. Now, it's a beautiful chapter, and there are actually beautiful details I've had to miss out for the sake of time. I hope you've noticed the lessons. I hope you've seen what good examples Ruth and Boaz are to us. Will you be like them? Will your character, like Ruth and Boaz, reflect God and be a channel for God's favour to others? But the chapter isn't mainly about holding up Ruth and Boaz to us and say, be like them. It does that. It holds up to us Ruth and Boaz and says, be like them. What good examples. But it's not mainly doing that. The chapter is mainly about holding up God to us and saying, trust him. Ruth 2 has all been about God bringing the outsider Ruth in as one of his people and bringing empty Naomi and filling her. It's been about God's generosity. God's kindness, God at work behind the scenes, fulfilling his plan, doing it all personally, like a mother hen with chicks under the wing. It's been about God's provision and protection. Now, you can read those things elsewhere in the Bible. You can read them put more clearly elsewhere in the Bible, like the Psalms. The Psalms is full of statements about God is full of grace. God is full of generosity. God is so kind. And you might say, as that is put explicitly in the Psalms, why do I need to read it a little less clearly in a story? Well, one reason is because we keep on needing to relearn God's kindness and it helps us to hear it in a fresh way. But another reason is Ruth 2 tells us how God does this. How does he do it here? in ordinary, non-miraculous life, in quiet ways that are easily not noticed, that we take for granted, and particularly through his people. So often God's kindness and favour come through his people. His people having a character like him, obeying his law, as Boaz did, and then going beyond his law, 
I don't mean by being more strict than his law, I mean by being more generous than his law says. God's favour so often comes to us through his people. What I've described is what we should be like, but what I've described is also what, above all, Jesus is like. And that's the main place that chapter 2 is heading to. Above all, it's pointing us to Jesus, the man who shows and brings God's favour. The man who shows and brings God's generosity. He brings us full forgiveness for all our sins and then on top of that loads us with blessings. The man who shows and brings God's kindness and God's protection from the sin that ought to fall on us. It fell on Jesus and he protects us like a mother hen with chicks under the wings. And he does it all personally. God didn't send an angel and say, go on, go and die for those people. I I want to give them something good. You go and die for them. No, God himself became man. And he went to the cross to take all the punishment we deserve and shelter us in himself. It is all, above all, a pointer to Jesus, the man through whom God personally pours out his favour on us. Now, if you, you might say, yeah, but we could see all that in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Why see it in a story where we've got to work at finding it? What's the point of seeing it in Ruth 2? It's to persuade people like Naomi and Ruth. In ordinary, non-miraculous life, God is there, behind the scenes, at work, full of favour. It's to persuade people like Naomi and Ruth, who maybe feel an outsider like Ruth, or feel empty like Naomi. Feel life is hard, satisfaction is elusive. Where do you belong? And to persuade such people, God is kind and he can bring you in and he can fill you up. It's to persuade people who are like Naomi and Ruth, even if you don't feel it. You see, if this morning you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus, then whether you feel it or not, you are an outsider to God's family. However at home you feel here at Hollywell, and I hope you do, if you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus, you are an outsider to God's family. And whether you recognise it or not, you are empty of life as God intends it. You are empty of the relationship with God and the work of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit that God intends for us. But Ruth 2 is written to you to say, God is full of favour. Put your trust in him and he can bring you in and he can fill you. Where are the commands in Ruth 2? As we read it, did you notice what it commands you to do? The answer is there aren't any. It's true for an awful lot of the Bible. There are no commands in Ruth 2. There is no place in Ruth 2 where it says do this and don't do that, at least directly. But Ruth 2 is full of description to persuade you. God is present quietly at work. God is kind. He cares for the outsider and the empty. God is full of favour. He goes beyond what we could expect from him. Ruth 2 is written to persuade you, trust him.